0: If you want to take your copy of God's Word and make your way to the book of 1 Peter, you got to go way, way towards the back of the New Testament to find this short book, one of the letters that Peter writes to the saints of the diaspora. So if you don't learn anything else tonight, if you don't know what that word diaspora means, it was a term they used back in those times to describe the dispersion of the Jewish people after the crucifixion of Jesus And so once Jesus was crucified and the gospel was going out, persecution became so great upon the church of God that they couldn't stay in one place. So they scattered, really out of fear initially. But it's funny how God will even use the tactics of the enemy to further his gospel. And so they called it the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews as God's gospel went out across the, the country at this time really as the beginning of the church is being spread. So as Peter writes these letters to these saints, as he often describes them, and it's funny that he calls them that. Now we're in the midst of this identity crisis series that we've been in, and so he's writing to encourage them and, and to help them reestablish their identity and who Christ is, even in the face of intense persecution. So tonight we pick up with the fourth installment of our current series that we've been in, which is called Identity Crisis, where at the beginning of this study, we pose this question, who are you? Not what's your name, or what do you do, or where are you from, but who are you? And we've been using that question to specifically seek an understanding of who we really are in Christ as his saints. And the Bible has some pretty awesome stuff to say and to show us about who we are in him. And some of that awesomeness just happens to be found in our text for tonight, which is in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13, God's Word says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we battle for our minds and how important it is for our identity to understand who we are mentally in Christ. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Now drop down to chapter 2. And starting in verse 9, we're going to read a couple of verses there. And Peter continues, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want to speak to you guys tonight from the subject of my best self. Our current society kind of has this trend going right now where we're really pushing this concept of becoming your best self, of being the best version of yourself, of living your best life and doing whatever you have to do to pursue health and happiness by following the desires of your heart. And can I just tell you from the get-go, that's really bad advice. It's really bad advice to follow the desires of your heart because God in the book of Jeremiah classified the human heart like this, that it is desperately wicked and full of deceit now why would you follow something that God classifies as being desperately wicked and full of deceit that's not good advice and I understand there are some good concepts behind what the world pushes and there are some good concepts about living your best life and being the best version of yourself I understand what they're trying to get across But I want you to understand something tonight. Actually, I think God wants us to understand something tonight. He wants you to hear something from His heart. The best version of yourself isn't found within yourself. It's found within Him. Your best life isn't going to be lived through self. It's going to be lived through the Spirit of God. Your pursuit of health and, and happiness doesn't come by following the desires of your heart. It comes through pursuing God's heart and His desires for your life. And so as I live in Jesus, placing my life in his hands, that's when I become my best self. When I give myself fully over to Jesus and I say, here, take my life and use it for your desires, that's when I become my best self. That's when you get the best version of me. Because anything else apart from Jesus is just filthy rags and garbage. And who you are in Jesus is so much better than any other version that could be you. And our Savior, I think so badly, wants each of us here tonight to see this. And so he shows us in his word the exact thing that we're talking about tonight. And so my best self, because of Jesus, brings with it some changes in my life. And I want to show you three changes that being your best self in Christ will mold and shape in your life. So the first change is this. There's a position change. Because of Christ, there is a position change in my life. Go back in 1 Peter. And I know we started in verse 13, but I'm going to swap things around a little bit. not trying to to change the way God's Word is written, but it it fits better working this way. So we're going to start instead of verse 13 or 14. We're going to drop down to verse 17. And I'll make the first point to you from here. Reading it again, it says, And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed... From the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I need you to understand some tonight. Every single one of us, when we were born, were born into sin because of Adam. Not, not Adam the drummer, but Adam in the garden. So every single one of us were born into sin because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. Romans 5:12 explains it to us this way, it says, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, that man being Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. So if you think you haven't ever sinned, then God's word stands against that notion. And just because you might not accept it as truth doesn't mean that it's not still true. So all have sinned, and all deserve death, all are under the penalty of death because of that sin. So when you were born in this world, you were born of flesh, You inherited that sinful nature that Adam brought into this world. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Eve. You didn't have a say in the matter. You're born into it. This was our identity. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. This was our identity as soon as we came into this world. This was our position before God. We stood before him as enemies, as rebels, lost in our sin, full of pride, full of selfishness, living as our own God's all the while being held captive captive to our own sinful nature and in bondage to ourselves condemned to die and face the just wrath of God and his judgment which would send us to a place called hell where we would spend an eternity in separation from him that was our position when we came into this world but then Peter makes this awesome statement about how we have been ransomed from those futile ways that we inherited. And I want you to see the beauty of this tonight. I want you to see the beauty and this, this word ransomed. It's been all over me for two weeks now. I wanted to get it out last week. We came close to having an episode like what Noah experienced, though, so we had to cancel for weather reasons. And so it's been, it's been killing me because I want to share it with y'all so bad. And, and here it is, and here it goes. Don't miss it. This word ransom, do you know what it means to be ransomed? The literal definition means to obtain the release of a prisoner by making payment. So to ransom someone is to obtain their release. Remember, we were held captive by our own sinful nature. And Jesus ransomed us to release a prisoner by making payment. So God, in his infinite love, sends Jesus to make payment for your release. To release you from your sin to release you from yourself to release you from the strongholds that you have in this life but here's the thing Jesus didn't come down here with a check from the golden bank from the gold street bank of heaven this ransom could not be paid monetarily this ransom required death god's word says that without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness of sins. This ransom was one that Jesus couldn't dig into his pockets and put a dollar amount on and say "All right, give them back to me. This ransom required the giving of his life, the spilling of his blood and Jesus knew that and so him being the only one that was worthy said I'll go. I'll go. I'll go and I'll be their ransom. I'll give my life. I'll spill my blood so that they can be bought back so they can be set free from the things that are holding them captive so here's the beauty of your position change the moment you put your faith in Jesus because of him your position now changes You're no longer captive. You're no longer held in bondage to your sin. You no longer have to identify with that sinful nature. No longer do you stand before God condemned, but redeemed. No longer do you stand as a sinner. You stand as a saint. No longer do you stand before him dirty, but as somebody who has been cleansed. No longer are you considered a rebel, but as righteous. So how many of you are thankful for the position change that God has brought into your life through his son, Jesus? Not just spit all over the place. No wonder nobody ever sits on the front row. I'm thankful for my position change. I'm thankful that Jesus ransomed me from a sinful nature that I inherited from a sinful forefather but it didn't stop God from pursuing me. It didn't keep Jesus from coming out in search and saying, I'll go. There needs to be blood. okay, I got plenty. I'll shed it for him." And so me at my best is when I, I realize and live in my position in Christ. Someone with a new identity in Christ understands their position in Him. And they live in that confidence and they live in that freedom. There's a second change that takes place. And that's there's a, per, a perception change. There's a perception change in our lives. So go back. We're going to scoop back up a couple of verses in chapter 1 where we first started. We're going to go back to verse 14. It says, As obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy then skipping over to chapter 2 verse 9 the verse that we read there it says you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession there's a perception change that takes place when I live my life in Christ and I think most people seriously underestimate the real radical monumental transformation that Jesus brings to their lives when they accept him. I gave my life to Jesus when I was a 10-year-old kid, and I didn't realize everything that went into that. But there are a lot of people who, when they give their life to Jesus, I don't think we really comprehend the magnitude of the transformation that actually takes place in our lives. And that's part of why we struggle with truly believing who we are in Christ. Because we don't realize how vastly we have been changed I can't see for nothing. Like, if I, I got contacts in right now, if I didn't have them man, honestly, I could not find my way in and out of this room. That's how bad my vision is. And one of the most vital aspects of your vision is to have with it the ability to have something called depth perception, You know what depth perception is? It's your ability to judge distances. And so if I didn't have these corrective lenses, not only could I not see, but I'd have no depth perception. So I could be walking straight towards that wall without ever realizing that it's actually getting any closer until I finally run into it with my face. And then I would realize, hey, hey, there's a wall there. Depth perception is one of the most important aspects of your vision because it allows you to judge distance. And here's the thing. When it comes to wrestling around with our identity, that's something that God kind of made known to me over the past couple of weeks. It's not that—it's not that you doubt that change has happened, right? You've given your life to Jesus. He's made changes in your life, and you're pursuing Him. Sure, you make mistakes along the way. Sure, you don't always live the way that you're supposed to. You don't always live up to that holy calling that He has placed on your life, like we just saw. Be holy, because I'm holy. You feel like you fall short of that a lot, but it's not that you doubt that change has taken place. I think the problem is, is it's that you're not seeing the depth of that change. Most of us in our struggle with identity, I think it would be beneficial for us if we realize that our battle isn't with doubt, it's with depth. If you are in Christ, you need to start learning how to see yourself as Jesus sees you. You need to start seeing yourself as Jesus declares you. Can I just tell you tonight if you are in Christ, it is okay to accept the new you. And Satan doesn't want you to believe that. And I think he keeps a lot of people in bondage just like this because you won't allow yourself to accept the new person that Christ has made you. And I fought that battle for long enough in my life. I've given him ground in that area, I've given him victory in that area, for long enough. You can't do anything about your past. It's behind you. Paul says, actually, I forget the past, and I push on. you got to let this stuff go. It's okay to accept the new you in Jesus Christ. This is the perception change that he brings, that your past decisions, your present decisions, your future decisions, they don't define who you are. And when you begin to buy into this truth, Then it begins to open up your eyes so that you can see how vastly He has changed your life. You can begin to see with depth the change that Jesus has brought into your life. In 1 Peter, He just told us that He has made you holy. Holy. And if I were to ask in a random survey of believers in the room, if you believed whether or not God calls you holy, you might say yes because you're familiar with the passage. But if I ask you, if you lived holy, or if you applied holiness, we might would struggle because we look at our lives and all we want to see is the negative. All we want to see is the failures. All we want to see is the mistakes. And where do you think that comes from? Do you think your loving, heavenly Father constantly wants to magnify your failures and your mistakes? Oh, he doesn't want to. Let me, that stuff's already been magnified. Do you know where? On the cross. It don't get any more magnified than that. He's already brought it out from underneath the rug. You can't Jesus does not look down and say, "Oh my goodness, mistake number one for the day. What's next? Number two, number three, number four, And so you begin to believe all these things about yourself. And Jesus says, "I' declared you holy. You're holy. He declares you're part of a chosen race, chapter two where we were just reading. You're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a possessed people by God Almighty. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. Just listen to what God says of you as his people. For this reason I bow my knees for the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, listen to how Paul frames this up. There's a key word in here, and I'm sure you can probably figure it out may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You're not merely the product of your past decisions. You're not the result of bad choices in Christ. You were holy, chosen, royal, and adopted. You're owned by God. He gets to write the description on the label. When did when did what Jesus sees and says of you become not enough? My prayer is that God would help me and would help you guys to see with depth the distance between who we were. And now who we are. Because there's depth. There's depth between who you were in your sinful nature and who you are now in your spiritual nature in Christ. And it's marvelous. Me at my best is when I see and live as Christ sees me. There's one more change. So our our position has been changed. Our perception has been changed. But there's also a purpose change. My life in the hands of Jesus experiences a purpose change. And here's the beauty of all this that we've been talking about. I think about, you know, why would Jesus choose to give me a new identity? Why would he go through all that stuff for me? Why would he choose to to go through the process of helping me have my perception changed? Well, it's because he has a purpose for my life. And he has a purpose for your life. So what's that purpose? Well, Peter tells us in chapter 2, if you go back in verse 9, we'll just read the whole verse again. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's your purpose? Your purpose is to proclaim. Your purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness And to His marvelous light, the purpose of every born-again child of God is to proclaim what He has done for you. Man, I hear that a lot, especially at y'all's age. You know, you're like, I'm just trying to find God's purpose for my life. Well, quite simply put, above all else, your purpose is to proclaim His glory. And you might do that through teaching second-graders. You might do that by being a high school football coach. You might do that by being a pastor or a missionary or an electrician or a plumber or a doctor or a nurse or an attorney. But the bottom line is, it is the purpose of every born-again child of God to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called them out of darkness. And this is a big reason why the enemy wants you to have and stay in identity crisis. Because people who are in crisis with their identity always lose sight of their purpose. I want to show you how we know this. Because people who go through an identity crisis, the first question that always gets asked is, why am I here? Why am I here? And so when you're in crisis with your identity, you lose sight of your purpose first and foremost. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Do I even have one? And this is why the enemy doesn't want you to hear this stuff. Why do y'all think he fights against this place every week? Why do you think he tries to distract you? Why do you think he tries to give you excuses not to come each week? Because this stuff will liberate you. This stuff will set you free. And he is the opposite of that. And see, when you... It's a double-edged sword, really, because when you lose sight... Of purpose, well, then you lose your voice of proclamation. Because someone who has lost sight of their purpose doesn't go around proclaiming about the good things in their life because they don't see any. So when you lose sight of your purpose, you lose your voice of proclamation. And here's the thing, you know, Jesus doesn't simply want you to just be your best life in him. He wants you to brag about it. He wants you to brag about it. Why else would he add that in there to proclaim? It's not that I I get to possess the truth that in him I'm chosen, royal, holy, adopted, possessed. It's that I get to proclaim it. See, you can walk around it and just quietly live it all you want to, and nobody could ever see any difference. Presence does not mean proclamation necessarily. You've got to open your mouth and let people know about the change that's been made. You've got to speak of His goodness. You've got to speak of His mercy. You've got to speak of His love. You've got to speak of His grace. In Luke chapter 17, i I'll finish up with this little story from Scripture. You might be familiar with it, but in Luke chapter 17, Jesus performs a, a healing miracle on these ten lepers. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things for you in this passage. and You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can just reference it sometime. In verse 11, The narrative tells us that on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And so as Jesus is walking into this town, these lepers approach him and they stay at a distance. And lepers were cast out of the city. So, they weren't allowed to be inside the city gates because of their sickness and because of it being contagious, and they don't want that to spread to other people. So, these men are standing outside of the city gates. So, what do you see? You see their position. They're only the outside looking in. And Jesus walks up and they cry out to him, Jesus, have mercy on us. So, Jesus tells them to go inside the city, position change. Go inside the city and show yourself to the priest. And it says, and as they went, they were cleansed. Sometimes the miracle doesn't get activated until you first step in faith. As they went, they were cleansed. So as they're going to show themselves to the priest, they look down and they're like, what is going on? And by the time they get there, they present themselves to the priest because it was custom. To do that. And they get there and they say, hey, look, we're good. Right? We can come back in the city. So Jesus has changed their position. And now they have been cleansed. They have been healed. Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. When he saw that he was healed. Perception change. First, he was outside the city. Jesus changed his position and put him inside. Once he looked down and he saw himself covered in leprous sores. Now he looks down and he sees that he's been healed. And he turns back. And as he turns back, says that he was praising God with a loud voice. Outside, now brought in. Covered in disease, now cleansed. Living life with no purpose other than to sit outside that gate and die. But now he has a purpose. Now he's back inside the game. And now he's proclaiming. And he runs back to Jesus. And it's not that when he got to Jesus, he started praising It's as he was going back. So he turns around and he's running down the streets. And I can imagine what the picture looked like, right? Here's this guy who, just a little while ago, the only screaming that came out of his mouth was begging for people to give him something. Give me a handout. Give me a meal. Give me some money. Give me something. Give me a blanket. Now as he's running back, he's shouting a different story. I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. Praise God. I'm clean. Now we need some saints when they understand their identity to go running through their campuses, to go running through their homes, to go running through their places of business saying, I'm clean. I'm clean. So he runs back and he falls at Jesus' face and giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And He said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. If we aren't proclaiming, then we aren't living in the fullness of our purpose. Are you the one that went back? Or are you part of the nine that just went on? people of God that have been made clean by God should be praising God and proclaiming of his goodness and his grace and his mercy in our lives. And this is what Jesus does for us. This is me at my best is when I realize my position in Christ, when I see myself as he sees me, and when I live out the purpose that he has given me. This is what a person who has their identity established in Christ will do. You realize your position changed, you've got a perception change, and now you're living with purpose for the glory of God. Don't let the enemy steal that away from you. Don't let him take what God has given because he has no right or no claim, or no authority over your life. You are possessed by God. You are holy. You are chosen. You are royal. You are adopted. Live in that victory that He has brought to your life. Thanks again so much for stopping by to listen to the message. Our prayer is that, if you don't already, you would come to know the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness of Jesus in a personal way. Following Him is the greatest choice you could ever make. Each week we want to challenge you through the word of God to continue walking in Christ and leveraging your life for his glory. So we hope that you will join us again next week for another impactful message for your life.